Hey, welcome to another edition of On Leadership. I'm Todd Wilson, a co-founder of Exponential, and my co-host, Sean Lovejoy, the founder of Courage to Lead. Sean, it's good to be with you again. It's been, feels like a year since we talked last, even though it's only a few weeks. Yeah, man. So honored to be with you again. Uh, hey, I, uh, I'm not sure why, but of all the topics we get to talk about, uh, today's episode on on systems and processes, which, you know, I know that's geeky, but uh, probably makes a whole lot of people listening glossy eyed. But uh, I, I don't know that I've been as excited about one of these shows as this one in a while. So not sure why, but. And I think I think one of the reasons you and I are so passionate about it is probably one of the most misunderstood subjects or words, you know, in the church. Some people think it's anti-spiritual, you know, even. And others avoid it, you know, like the plague and just write it off. Oh, I'm just not good at systems. I, I hear that from pastors all the time. One, some are better than what they think they are. And and others need to be better than they think they do. <laughs> hey, in your travels with all the coaching you do, and you get to see front front row seat of all this, is it? I, I My experience is kind of bench on, but I'm curious as to your observation as we get started on this. If I were grouping pastors as a group into different categories on this conversation of system and process. What I have found is there's one group of pastors that it's like they they don't want to even think about it. It's it, I would even say they're hostile to the idea of systems and process. Yeah. Um, you run into a number of pastors on the other end of the spectrum that maybe they are a little bit anal on the, you know, it's so rigid in the process. Right. And then you've got this, my experience is there's this pretty wide spectrum in the middle that maybe values or appreciates systems, but there's a whole lot in that category. Most pastors haven't been trained in, in school and systems and process. And, and so while they may value it or not be against it, there's still a misunderstanding and a lack of training and and stuff in it. Uh, is that, how's that compare with your experience? With I agree. I agree. I think, you know, you can over systemize everything. You know, we tell pastors all the time, systems won't grow your church or fix your church, but you can't have a healthy church without good systems. Mm -hmm. You know, it, they're, they're, they're a necessary component, you know, and what we, you know, we call our gears of growth. You got to have the right culture. You got to have the right team. You got to preach the gospel. You got to be a person of prayer. You know, but honestly, my systems helped me do all of that. <laughs> I prayed for you today, not because you just came to mind and I'm naturally a pastoral person. You know, I pray over my calendar and it keeps me from being narcissistic in my prayers. You know, so every morning I look at my calendar, I surrender it to the Lord, but I don't, to be honest, Todd, you don't naturally come to mind in my prayers. You know, I, I've got to create a system for that stuff. And as I do, it gets better. I got a date with my wife tonight. I remember us having intense fellowship over that years ago. I'm like, baby, the only way we're going to be consistent on this is to put it on the calendar. And she's like, well, that sounds romantic. Mm. But I'm like, but, but everything that's a priority in my life goes on my calendar. It becomes a system. It's automatic and it doesn't get crowded out of my life. And so guess what's on our calendar now, you know? So systems are create a healthy person, create a healthy church. Well, as we start to jump in to talk about systems, let's, let's just press into what you just said a little bit more. One reason you're highlighting for the importance of, of systems and processes in the church is distinguishing our priorities or putting some things more important than others, just so they're right there. Maybe intentionality and priority would be the words, but give us a little bit more. What, what are the, whether you want to put this in terms of the consequences of not having good system and process in place to a church, or put it in the positive, what does healthy system and process do for a church? Well, I think systems have everything to do with stewardship. You know, I, I need to I need to have good systems for my calendar because it makes me a good steward of time. I need good systems for my for our finances. You know, makes me a good steward of my my finances. I need good. I need to steward my energy. One of the things pastors got to work at work at today is just stewarding their energy. You know, for what so so when they do certain activities. 
and how they flow in rhythm with their church and their staff. There are seasons of intensity like Easter, and then there are seasons of less intensity. And, you know, it put building all of that into the ethos and culture just has everything to do with our personal health, our staff health, our church health, you know, all of those kind of things. And yes, we can say discipleship is life on life, but there's got to be a system. There's got to be a process you know, we've got to know where we're trying to take people and it needs to be documented. It needs to not hinge on one personality, you know, and if if everything goes to hell in a handbasket because the worship pastor is on vacation on a week, we have a personality dependent ministry, you know, versus a systemized healthy ministry. And it's literally less stable. And of course, if pastors, you know, want to transition and have a succession plan, the less it hinges on their personality and them being there all the time in every meeting, the more it can be built on systems, the more stable everything is for the future. Well, let let me kind of push on this one. You just made the comment, there has to be a system or else, da, 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 da. But let me ask this, is, is it even possible actually that there's not a process or a system, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. So, I mean, let, let me push on that a little bit because isn't the issue really, there is a system or a process. The issue is how healthy it is or whether, like, like yeah. if a process is nothing more than the sequential and parallel organization of activities to produce some outcome, we could go on for weeks without an official process, but there's, quote, a way of doing things around here that might be ad hoc. It might not be the most efficient way to do it. So I, I would just say, is it really, isn't the issue that there are processes and systems in place? The issue is, are they in spite of our best efforts? Are they not aligned to produce the right outcomes? Are, and, and so what? how would you address that? I think to be a healthy system, you know, three things have got to be in play. You know, clarity, which means it's got to be down on paper. and It's got to be documented. Accessibility. Everybody needs access to it. And accountability. I mean, a, a job description is not effective unless we're looking at it, you know, and holding each other accountable to it. Most people have a job description, but it's looked at one time, you know, when they're hired. Then they move off and leave it. And so we never really hold them account. Core values are great, but they're only as strong as we hold ourselves accountable to them. So the idea of clear expectations, it is clear expectations that are going to help us consistently deliver consistent results. In the absence of clear expectations, we might still have a process. It's just not going to consistently deliver the right results or high quality results. So the presence of what you're talking about, a clear written system that that clarifies expectations and then holds people accountable to expectations, just seems like that's what's cr- helping us create a consistency of outcome. And then ultimately, you said in the beginning, it's a stewardship issue. If, 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 if stewardship is really that allocation of limited resources to a critical growth path is stewardship, then an effective process is one of our best friends to do that, it would seem like. I agree. And for the pastors who want to wash their hands and say, well, I'm just not good at systems, or I think that's corporate or secular in nature. I mean, the, the I, I get really scrutinized on Facebook when I say this, and this will probably get more comments than any other comment I say today. But I really do believe there's a spiritual component and a human component to church growth. Yes, Jesus builds his church, but he chooses to do so through people. And I think a lot of pastors are praying, you know, Jesus will add the increase and grow their church. I actually think in most cases, Jesus is waiting on us. I mean, if we're stressed out now and overwhelmed now, why would he bring twice as many people? You know, if we're letting people fall through the cracks now and we've got a lot of turnover now, why would he add more people to the confusion? You know, and so we've got to get we talk about helping pastors get prepared to grow. I don't know how large or how many sites or how many micro churches, you know, he wants. I don't know what that looks like. Never set a goal, an attendance goal. But I want to get prepared to handle more. I don't I don't want to hinder what Jesus wants to do. And to do that, I'm going to have to become more process oriented. 
mm-hmm. more systemized so things can scale and grow beyond me. And both you and I have had to do that with our organizations, frankly. Right. Would you say, uh, Sean, from your experience in the coaching and even leading a local church that you started, um, it's it's been said that that a number of the different growth barriers, you know, maybe the 500,000, 1,500, that, that, that process and system becomes a barrier to growth, that, that you're going to have a really hard time actually growing past some of the, the barrier points without getting your hands around it. Yeah, we, we say that pastors, you know, every church is perfectly structured for the results it's getting now. So if we, if we want to grow, we've got to structure for where we feel like Jesus is wanting to take us. You know, we don't want to presume on anything. We just want to get prepared. So it's going to require some courageous conversations. Mm-hmm. It's going to require, require some courageous decisions. Well, we, we're going to get a little bit more into rolling up the sleeves and get into some nuts and bolts here on, on this today. Um, let's start. We've already got a question. You, you and I have kind of used interchangeably so far the word system and process. Um, I'm going to have Brooks bring up, you know, just a, a quick slide here. Um, let's, let's do a little bit of definition, Sean, and how these things align together. The idea of systems processes, policies, and then where teams fit into the whole thing. Um, I know for me, and, and, and they're, 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 I don't want to be legalistic in this. You and I might even have different definitions of things. So maybe we can both address sort of how we see things. But the way I've always looked at it is I, instead of starting with systems, if I start with the policies part of things, whether it's policy governance of a board or the idea of, pop, you know, what are policies? And for me, those are kind of the, the, I'll say the requirements that shape how you do things. So like, as an example, in children's ministry, some churches have a policy that a child will never be alone with one adult. That's not a process. That, that's a, that is an expectation. It's a requirement. It's a policy that you can't. And then from that, process can be developed. Okay, if the requirement is or the policy is a child will never be alone with one adult, then how do we do the safety and security process to ensure that doesn't happen? Right. So for me, policies are sort of that putting a fence around the process or the requirement or the rigid part that says, as you put together the process, what are the shaping factors to the process? Is that, is that different than how you have interpreted or how consistent is that for you? No, I love, I love the word requirements. You know, for example, you might say, let's use the children's ministry as an example again. You might say, well, I can't believe, you know, they had a, they had a male a children's worker in there with two boys by himself in the classroom. Well, my first question is going to be, well, where, where is that in the policy manual? <laughs> When is the training environment? Right. Where is the clarity? You know, we rarely have been as clear as we think we've been. And frankly, most of the time we realize it's not that guy's fault in that children's classroom. (laughs) One of my favorite books last year was called It's Always the Manager, Mm -hmm. you know. And so we've not we've not been clear about our expectations, our requirements. And so some policies are very, very healthy because we need to know what the bar is. We didn't know what's expected. Let's talk about staffing, for example. Well, I found out he was having lunch with his assistant, you know, one-on-one opposite sex. Well, you can't assume that people know not to do that in 2021. Okay. Where is that on paper? Where is that documented? Where are we talking about that? Where's the training involved now to to set clear expectations and requirements for behaviors on our team? And Sean, isn't, I mean, what you're hitting on right now, seems to be where things go off track so often. And here's what I mean by that. Lead pastors and senior leaders are often wired not as much for the process, but for the policy. The lead pastor may say, come into staff meeting and say, I don't want this. I want this. We're not going to do it that way. They, the lead pastor is very good at pronouncing the policy or the requirement. But then if verbally, verbally, by the way, verbally, (laughs) that doesn't translate into consistent written 
you know, process that then teams embrace and then the training of the team members do, you know, it, it shouldn't surprise us that there's a very good chance that the lead pastor or the senior team is not going to be happy some period later because they just verbalized a requirement that didn't translate into uh, all the way down to the training piece you're That's talking true. about. And so those, some of us want to avoid policies. Like in today's world, we got to be much clearer than we think we've been, you know, because, you know, most of the pastors on our team, you know, most of the leaders in our church come from dysfunctional homes. You know, they didn't have, you know, training of family values and common sense, wisdom. And so we've got to go overboard, you know, with some of that. Then you roll into processes. To me, a process is something you figured out that needs to be documented. Mm. You know, it's what's the Wi-Fi password? Well, where is that on? Is it somebody's is in Todd Wilson's mind, you know, or is it somewhere documented so everybody can find the Wi-Fi password? How do you unlock the doors? How do you turn the heat on and off? You know, what, what, how do we set up the children's classrooms? You know, whatever. Once somebody figures it out one time, Hmm. we need to put it on paper document it so that we figure it so every so we're not having to figure out the same thing multiple times there you go brooks can you pull that page back up again that we were just the system process policy so what i hear you saying sean is the the policy part is the what what is required or what outcomes desired the process is a how part how do we deliver what's required is that is that what you're saying? Yes, I agree. And, yeah, and, and it's got it's got to be documented. But so many times we just we keep figuring out the same thing over and over and over again because it's never really documented and there's no training around it and nobody knows. Everybody's asking the pastor, you know, how to do this, and you know, it it it, it creates a lot of pain, a lot of anxiety, a lot of frustration on teams. Hmm. Well, and then and then from processes to systems, there's, let's take an area like children's ministry. In just a minute, we'll put up some sample processes, but it, here's how I make the distinction in my mind. A system is an integration of a whole lot of processes. If you just look at the body, the cardiovascular system, or the, you know, the different systems of the body, have multiple interrelated processes happening at the same time. And so if we were turning that into church language now, the the way I have always interpreted is to say, hey, within the children's ministry, there is a children's ministry system. Like I would encourage all of our listeners right now, within the area of your influence, whether it's the worship arts area, the children's ministry, the student ministry, Every one of those areas has a system, and that system is made up of an interrelated set of processes. Is that is that a good way of looking at it, Sean? 100% agree with that. I, I define a system this way. It's a bridge that moves things and people from where they are to where they need to be. You know, so let's take... Let's take small groups. Let's ch- let's get out of children's ministry. Stop yep. messing with them for a moment. Let's talk about small groups. You yep. know, so why were small groups? Why was Sunday school? Why was all that designed? Okay, so Sunday school was designed as an outreach method originally. People don't realize this. It was designed as an outreach method to reach people in small circles that were scared of being in rows. <laughs> That's why Sunday school you know, was started. Then they realized over time, well, what really people really need is not necessarily a lot more information. You know, what's really transforming people is biblical community. It's not the curriculum, you know? So there was this move towards small groups, but here's the challenge with small groups in a lot of churches. People are isolated. They're alone. 51% of people, according to Myers-Briggs, are introverts. Okay. You're part of the majority, Todd Wilson, (laughs) you know, so introverts should unite. And they were trying to get them in small groups to be in circles and share their feelings with people. You know, well, that's a huge gap. That's a huge gap. So if I'm going to be effective at moving people from isolation to biblical community, I've got to build a bridge. I can't just 
put a listing of small groups on the website and expect to change the game. I've got to realize where people are now and I got to create some simple steps, environments, processes that will move people toward biblical community. Mm. You know, and that's where a lot of our newcomers classes and membership classes where we get to take the mystery out of serving in the church and volunteer and church membership and even baptism, you know, baptism, all those things to help demystify it and help them take a step toward where they need to be. So anybody can build a system. All you got to know is where are things now? Where do they need to be? And let's start now building the bridge. So what I'm hearing you say is uh, is maybe a key distinctive between the overall bridge of the system and then the individual processes is where, where the process is a little bit more biased to the how-to, the step-by-step or the steps to accomplish something. The system actually needs to start with the outcome in mind. Like what, what am I trying to produce? Why am I doing this? And what am I trying to get out of it? And so and understand where we are now, you know what I'm saying? Like you can't really build a budget until you know how much money's coming in. Hmm. For example, I got to know where we are now, you know, how much debt do we have? How much is coming in? You know, then I can build the system. You know, here's where I want to be. You know, I got to save for college, got to plan for a wedding, you know, this, so I got to, I got to, I got to then put it all together based upon where I'm trying to go. And that, that, that comes down to disciple making. Hello. So w- we got to define what it means to make a disciple. Mm. You know, are we trying, is a disciple someone who knows a lot about the Bible, goes to church, you know, uh, and tithes? I hope not. You know, I just described a Pharisee, you know, so what is a disciple? Where are we trying to take before we just, Oh, launch small groups. You know, well, what what kind of disciple are we trying to make before we go out and adopt a model at a conference that may not produce the type of disciple at all that we want to try to produce in our church? But let me ask you on that, Sean. I mean, just to drive the point of starting with the end in mind on a system, most church leaders would value the importance of disciple making, might even say it's the core purpose of the church, the number one thing we're supposed to be doing. Let me ask you just in your gut, in terms of healthy process, what percentage of churches have actually written down and gone through the exercise (laughs) to define what they consider a healthy functioning disciple to be? It's single digits, my friend. Would you agree with that? Yes. And single, and single digits. Yeah. And we've got to just let that sink in. If yeah. if the core purpose of the church is disciple making, and it certainly it's not more than 20%, one in five. You know, let's say it's maybe it's one in 10. And and if there is a system, you know, Jesus has modeled a way of important things. So there's a system of disciple making. And yet we haven't started with a real clear expectation of what is it we're trying to produce? Like what is a healthy disciple? Then a whole lot of what we're talking about at creating healthy system and process. I mean, it's got to start with that first step of what are we trying to produce? And I, I think the disciple making equation is the, or, or area is the, you know, really brings clarity to that. And the greatest challenge of all this is to keep it simple. Yes. The early church, you know, grew by 3000 people in one day. Mm. Okay. Without a lot of seeming anxiety. Yeah. Because it was simple. Everybody knew what their next step was. You know, they didn't have a worship guy with 27 different options. You Mm. know, Lifeway resources did not exist. Mm. (laughs) And yet they still made disciples. So we would do well to look at how simple, you know, they had a system, though. They had a, It's all there in Acts chapter two. You know, they had a simple system that moved people to take next spiritual steps. Hmm. Sean, what I'm going to do, we're in a minute, we're going to transition into really pressing into, I, I think, what we've titled seven essential factors for healthy systems and processes what I want to do is just acknowledge for a minute the elephant in the room is this idea of, of, on one hand, the diligence and the intentionality and the work that it takes 
to really get your hands around processes and systems and document them and align your teams to it and do the training that way. And then your idea of keeping it simple. And I, I think it's just important for us to acknowledge we're, we're not talking about a super easy thing here. It does take intentionality and work. And what I want to do, there's a lot of different ways you could, in your in any ministry or your church, you could rack this out. But I'm going to ask Brooks to put up. I took a stab just as we get into this healthy system process conversation within children's ministry, um, if Keep we picking were on children's ministry, I, well, it's just, children's it, ministry. Yeah, well, this is a positive thing. I care about uh, uh, children's great. ministry. So, and this is an exercise we went through a number of, number of years ago in our children's ministry. And partly why we did was the complexity of children's ministry with all the different things you've got to simultaneously manage. So just running through this list real quick, I mean, we've got set up and tear down, especially for a mobile church, which look what we've got to do. There's a time element to it. There are volunteers that have to be in. The school has a schedule. Um, we've got to allocate limited resources on a schedule to make it happen. And I'm not going to go through all of these, but it's easy to get overwhelmed when we start looking at, oh my goodness, physical safety and security, and then programming and curriculum and the worship experience in children's and the physical environment with banners and all the different things. And we just need to acknowledge that to go do what you and I are talking about, policies with clear expectations and outcomes, and then an efficient, simple set of steps that will deliver what we're looking for. I would just say it's the integration of, and you can slice and dice all these areas differently. There's not like a one size fits formula here, but I do believe each church has got to decide how they're going to break it down. And I think part of why we've got to decide how to break it down is now another important topic that we'll cover in future weeks is teams. I mean, systems and teams go hand in hand. We've got to how do we decide how to structure our teams, how to build our teams, what's needed on teams? And if we just start looking at overlaying, jump to the last four bullets on this list, team structures and functions, including roles and responsibilities, that in itself is a process. Yeah. And then there's volunteer recruiting. And look at the overlap back to physical safety and security. And are we going to bring just anybody in as a volunteer? So what about security checks and reference checks. And then there's volunteer expectations. And then the one you were hammering, volunteer training, which a lot of times we fall short on that. But the basis of volunteer training becomes all of the above, up above, and depending on how we've allocated our team. So there is a, there's simultaneously a complexity to this that we don't want to get overwhelmed with. We got to take it a bite at a time. But what what we're going to spend the rest of our time today on is let's just pretend an individual process or system. We're not trying to solve the whole integration of 15 or 20 things. We're now going to press into pick any one of these process areas. So what are the seven, you know, seven to 10 healthy factors for uh, pressing into creating good, healthy process? Yeah. So you mentioned the first one, you know, that you and I have sort of identified, you know, you've got to click for the step number one, the first essential to having healthy systems is clarifying the goals. Mm -hmm. We've got to start with the end in mind and defy, define where we're trying to take things, where we're trying to take people. Um, what are we trying to accomplish at the end of the day? For example, let's go back. I'll skip back over to small groups. Are we trying to teach people the Bible in small groups? Or are we trying to help them experience missional community? You know, in, in, or are we just teaching them to be on mission for the gospel and be action oriented and be doers of the word? We've got to define what the win is for each environment and each stream of ministry and where we're trying to take people, you know, along the way. And the, the more narrow the focus can be in the goal, the easier it is going to, going to be to build the processes. And what is your advice, Sean? It, you, the example you just gave of, say, small groups. I mean, we got all these different ministries that need to be clarifying their wins. So do, do, 
where's on the spectrum and on one end of the spectrum, you do it in isolation from all the other ministries. And then on the other end of the spectrum, from the top down, the elders or senior pastor defines all the expectations. So what have you seen as a healthy approach to aligning at some level, the different ministries of the church on some common wins, but then giving the flexibility within the individual areas or individual systems for unique wins and outcomes. I'll give you an example just out of my own spiritual pilgrimage as a pastor. You know, when I started the church, 1999, Metro Atlanta, we were called a place to belong, place to become, belong in a healthy relationship with God and others and become more like Jesus Christ based on the great commandment, the great commission. Okay. We get down the road eight or nine years. We were so far out on the attractional pendulum. You know, we realized that even in our small groups had become Christian consumer oriented in nature. Mm. And so we have all these strategic, comprehensive conversations about making those things more like a missional community and more less like a Bible study, you know, so from the, from the bottom up, we literally changed our corporate uh, mission to be a place to belong, a place to become, and a place to bless our world. And we said, hey, 18 months from now, we're going to be going on a, on a process. If you don't meet all three criteria, <laughs> belong, becoming, and blessing, if you're not serving the community as a group in specific ways, we're not going to consider you a small group mm. because it doesn't fit you know, the overall collective vision of our church. It's a Bible study, which is a component of spiritual growth, but it's not everything we want to see in the life of a Christ follower, just meet together and pray and worship together. You know, we want to be outward focused, even in our small groups. So um, I I lived this, you know, try to swing the pendulum and make sure that the H sub ministry is a part of the collective vision of the church. And if not, maybe we need to look at the whole the whole vision of the church and what we're trying to accomplish and retrofit now every ministry back to it to make it make it all be in alignment. Mm. And I and I guess it's it's kind of obvious, but I'll go ahead and say it out loud. Step one being defined as clarifying the goals or the outcomes. That's really the start with the end in mind. We can't really go have a simple step by step set of things without starting with what the outcome is. I think the real clear picture for me is you go buy a new lawnmower and you've got to put it together. You know, you pull out the instructions and, you know, I'm a visual person. I like to see the picture of what the finished product is. Imagine if you were the person writing the instructions for how to put a lawnmower together. If you didn't start with the completed picture of what the lawnmower is when it's finished. Great analogy. Yes. And, and but so, tons of churches are doing it. <laughs> tons of churches are doing it. You know, so I'll just I'll just go out and do we'll just in our worship ministry, we'll just go out and grab all the songs that um Hillsong is doing, you know, or Church of the Highlands is doing. That's gonna fix our worship culture. You know, we don't even know what we're trying to accomplish in our worship culture. We don't even know what we're trying to accomplish in our worship services. We don't even know what the goal is. You know, so the songs that we choose should have everything to do with the culture that we're trying to provide in our worship services as a church. Mm. So that's that's what we mean by you got to clarify the goal. You got to know what you're trying to the end goal, the, what you're trying to produce in that room, in that child, in that adult, um, you know, whatever it might be. Well, the second item that you and I have identified, Sean, I I like to say it's a little bit of a check and balance to keep coming back to simplicity, like you said. So the second item is understanding the resources required, which if, if step one was the outcome, start with the outcome in mind. Step two is to go back to the inputs and say, what inputs are going to be required to produce that outcome? And, you know, the Bible talks about who's going to go build a tower without first weighing the cost of what it's going to take to build the thing. And I think if our goal is to end up with a simple, integrated, step-by-step set of things that delivers that outcome we're looking for in step one, before we get too far down the path, we really do need to weigh the cost and say, okay, now what's going to be required in this? Again, the analogy of putting the instructions together to put a lawnmower together 
I've got it. This is the analogy of saying, okay, if the finished product looks like this picture on the box, now what are the individual parts that I need to list on the parts list that are now going to have to be put together as we're putting the thing together? Yeah. And I would only, I would probably only tweak one word. I know we agreed on the, but I would probably just in thinking about it, I'd, I'd tweak one word based upon what I hear pastors say. I would just say, understanding the resources provided. Mm, okay. Provided because we're not responsible for what we don't have. I have pastors say, but we don't have a full-time children's person. Okay. Well, you're not responsible for having a, a full-time children's person. You know, you may not have somebody a hundred hours a week right now that can build all of that out, but you are responsible for every child and you are responsible for what you do have, you know, so knowing where we're trying to go, knowing what we try to accomplish. Okay. Who has God provided? What has God provided, you know, that we can use for such a time as this? And that that's all that's required of us is take what we have and, 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 and build what God's called us to build. You're not responsible for in the city. You're not the staff. You don't have the money. You don't have, you know, it's, you got to do the best you can with what you have. That's stewardship. But how do you, it, that all makes sense, Sean. How do you deal with when there's a gap between the expectation of the outcome from step one, let's say there's an expectation from the leadership team that here's what you've got to produce as an outcome. And now at the department head level or the the owner of the process or system who's got to produce that outcome, the resource provided just can't get you there. Sure. You know, I use the example of like launching a campus, you know, and you and I are on the same page. You don't, you don't timeline it and announce a date, <laughs> get egg on your face because it's going to take more longer than you think. And it's going to cost more than you think. It's like building a building, you know, but you've milestone it out. And know, hey, when we get to here, you know, we'll launch. And I think the same thing can be true. Hey, we'll do the best we can with what we got right now because we don't have a full time children's pastor. But we just need to know to get to here to probably go to multiple services multiple campuses, we need a full-time children's pastor. And here's what that's going to cost. Here's what on average a a full-time children's pastor costs. And we need to milestone that out and have a plan for that, pull the trigger on that when the time comes so that we can go where we feel, you know, God's taking us to go. So we're, we're saying the same thing, you know, in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, uh, the third step that you and I, or the third important factor you and I said, you know, we're, we're armed with the outcome. We've kind of got our hands around what resources are provided. And we just keep coming back to the simplifying. Every endeavor in life naturally wants to have a complexity to it. So talk just briefly, Sean, for you, this idea of simplifying the complex. What is that? How's that fit into what we're talking about? The simplifying the complex. Well, you know, the old, the old book is correct and we were doing it before it came out, but you know, there, there's a need for the church to be simple. <laughs> the, the Pharisees took Jesus's teachings and made them complex. You know, he took the complex and made it simple and we're doing too many things, trying to be all things to all people. We got too many events, too many programs, too many steps, you know, and we got to make sure that we do less, you know, for more. So that's one. Like, and, and COVID, if you're listening to this, COVID provides a great opportunity to mm. kill some sacred cows, eliminate some steps, eliminate some hurdles. You know, don't bring it back. In the name of Jesus, do not bring some of these events and environments and programs back from the dead. <laughs> Bury them in a deep hole somewhere so that we do just a few things. You know, and we were, you showed the whole children's ministry. I mean, just do a simple, straightforward children's ministry. You didn't mention vacation Bible school. <laughs> you know, you didn't mention, you know, plug in camp camps and all of that. You just mentioned the week, weekend, week out kind of Sunday emphasis children's ministry just to do that well. There's dozens and dozens and dozens of processes. So and then then you just can't let too many steps get in there so that you can't you know, dummy proof it 
where anybody can can plug in. It's the brilliancy of McDonald's and Chick-fil-A and Starbucks, only simple scales. Mm. Can't con- you can't scale complexity. And, and it seems like this is the point too, Sean, where and, and it's an iterative kind of thing, but this is where it starts to get important that the people who are going to be implementing and using the process are speaking into how it's being done. It's I know oftentimes when I put something together or I'm looking at instructions, once I finally figure it out, oftentimes I'll say, why in the world they do it that way? Why didn't they, you know, either say this or do it this way? And if we're not pulling the people who actually have to own these processes that are implementing them into the conversation, there's a very good chance that week in and week out, they're just kind of keeping quiet about the inefficiency of, I'll say complexity and inefficiency of the process because it's something that's just been given to them and not something they feel they own kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I really think this is almost like the call of the pastoral leadership team on a weekly basis. <laughs> like this is what we do. You know, what we do around here at the, as a leadership team, we wake up every week trying to think how to make it less complex. That's what we do. You know, let's, let's simplify it, simplify it, simplify it. Uh, how do we do it? Because the gravitational f- pull is always toward layers of complexity. Um, so it just takes a lot of work. And, and just for the person who might be saying, ah, and that's why I just don't, even, you know, I'd rather just not have a process. I think it's safe to say, isn't it, Sean, that the lack of a, a written defined process is more than likely more complex than what you would have if you did have and more chaotic where there is no vision people cast off restraint so where there's a lack of clarity people will make it up (laughs) they'll make it up they'll they'll determine a policy like you said they'll create a process (laughs) one you may not know of or know about you know in all of that so you 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 better work on clarifying the process or people are going to be making them up anyway yeah. Well, the fourth item that you and I had out of seven, it, it's it's in the same realm as the simplifying the complex, but a little bit different. Um, the idea of clarifying interrelationships and interrelationships here means, you know, th- there may be five or six different processes. Take Take a Sunday morning worship arts experience with doing the programming and production of the band and the creative and and all the different things that happen on Sunday morning the inner relationships between the processes, it's the handoffs between those things where balls can be dropped. Uh, for me, it's kind of like the, the team marathon running where you got four marathon runners that all have the, you know, they got to pass the battalion. Where is the marathon, that kind of marathon or battalion run lost? It's in the handoffs of the battalions. That's where you always lose those races. And so that, I, I think we have, big opportunity for, I'll say, creep and and sort of loss of things where these handoffs between the different processes happen. And that's where the clarifying interrelationships fits in. Yeah. And the cool thing about this step to me, Todd, is that it really does show that there's crossover of health, you know, in other ministries by having effective systems, for example, multiple services, you know, going to two worship services. A lot of pastors fight me on that. We don't have enough volunteers, you know, to hardly to staff one. How are we possibly going to add a second worship service? And I say, you know what the great, you know why you should start the second worship service as fast as possible? Because every children's worker that volunteers back there misses every sermon and every worship service, you know, that they serve back there. So why not give them the opportunity to be fed every week, to be inspired, to be transformed, you know, by the power of God and his teaching through the worship service, and then teach children out of the overflow, you know, of worship. And they're like, never thought about that. You know, so there, there are these decisions have implications if done effectively, real in a real positive way, you know, to affect the health and the growth rate. You'll have more volunteers by launching another service because they say, aha, I don't have to miss the worship service anymore. And I can affect the lives of children. 
Mm. That's really good, Sean. I have no idea what kind of stupid thing I just said a minute ago. My wife is texting me saying it's a baton. So I'm not sure what I was, uh, whatever I was saying, it's supposed to be a baton. I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged that she's listening. I'm encouraged <laughs> that she's listening. <laughs> um, all right. So the fifth item that you and I had on the list, again, I'm going to say it's a little bit of a check, I think. Um, this is what's a little bit of a weird paradox, I think. In a system or a process, you can actually you could go the most simple possible path and still not be a good steward of both efficiency and effectiveness. In other words, sometimes you've got to push just a little bit on the simplicity thing and say, with just a little bit of complexity or a little bit of nuance, we might get a much better outcome or a more efficient process. And so this isn't to push us away from simplicity. It's to acknowledge that we at least need to do a cross check to say, does the way we've simplified this down to its bare bones, um, is it delivering the most efficient and effective thing? Or are there any adjustments needing to be made to the, to the simplicity? Does that make sense, Sean? It does to me. It does to me. And it's not about how much you can manage, you know, it's how much you can develop and steward, you know, for example, let's take organizational structure. I mean, I, I can manage 10 or 12 people. That's not really the question. Nobody wants to be managed. <laughs> can I, can I develop? Can I invest into, can I multiply myself into 10 or 12 people at a time? I'm not that good. I know very few people that are. You know, well, we've we've stalled out at 20 small groups. Well, tell me about your small group coaching structure. Well, we don't really have coaches. Well, you're going to have a lot of turnover. You're going to have a lot of disillusionment. You're going to have a lot of burnout. You can't you can't man. You can't invest into and develop and steward 20 small group leaders by yourself. You know, this is why churches get stuck at 100 people. It's all one people. This is why we got to train our our, our spiritual leaders to be developers, not doers of ministry, mm. because we got to be better stewards of people. You know, we, we, we got to steward the gifts and steward their resources, steward their energy, steward their talent, steward their gifts, you know, and that, that, that takes a, 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 an organizational structure. It's Moses and Jethro's conversation all over again. You know, we talk about uh, building one pizza teams. I don't want more people relating to anybody in a ministry or marketplace than can split a pizza. Mm. Three to five people. Mm. I can manage more people than that. I, I can't really steward, frankly, more people than that. So let, let's, I want to play off that, Sean. The, the sixth uh, healthy factor that you and I have on the list is building outcome-based teams it's a structure of teams uh, for an outcomes-based focus. But I want to press into what you just said. So let, let's assume for just a second that you and I are leading a church that doesn't yet have teams. We're ready to implement teams, okay? It's just sort of been chaotic till now, and we're going to implement teams. And so here's my question for you. Um, on a spectrum, would, would you recommend – before nailing down your processes and how to break out your processes, starting with the team structure and then orienting the process to, to the uh, processes to the team structure, or do you start with the processes and what needs to be delivered in the processes and systems and then wrap your team structure around that? I think it's a check and balance, you know, because sometimes we're going to set goals and we're like, oh, we can't accomplish that <laughs> with the resources we have now. We need to adjust the bullseye because this is what we got now. And we need to kind of think through, you know, Gerber and Emith revisited, said you you kind of you kind of build the structure, the organizational chart, put yourself in every bubble. And then your job is to kind of work yourself out of each of the bubbles, you know, over time until you've got that healthy structure that facilitates where you want to go. And so, so I think it's a little bit of a check and a balance. It's both and I don't know which comes first. Hmm. 
it seems like maybe the thing that we've got to be careful about in the check and balance is because so much rides and falls on the leader part of things, it would be very easy if we started with the team and, and let's say you've got a really strong team leader with some strong team members, the tendency is going to be to have a whole lot of process there. And all of a sudden you lose that team leader or one or two people move. And now you've got a team that just doesn't have the leadership capacity actually to implement the processes that are there. Um, and now at the same time, that's a strength that, I mean, building around the strength of leaders and the team to put the process in. But I think we've just got to keep in mind that check and balance you're talking about there, that it isn't like an autopilot. It's not like we can just put the process in place and then not worry about who the leader of the team is and who the people on the team is or vice versa. We can't just fill the seat in the team and assume that the process is okay the way it is. And that's why we've got to be, that's why we've got to have a system for developing people and discipling. We've got to have a leadership pipeline, you know, all of that so that we're not all just looking at each other because people do come and people do go, you know, over time. I, I forwarded an, an article this week from, from Inc.com to William Vanderblum, and I'll send it to you. Stated that 51% of employees have thought about changing jobs in the last 12 months. Hmm. 51%. That's over half. So that's in our churches, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that may be true for church staffs. So if we have a personality dependent ministry, if we just hire a specialist and we just assume they know what they're doing and we turn them loose, you know, and that turns over, we've got chaos on our hands mm-hmm. you know, because we don't have a process. We don't have a system. We don't, we're not developing leaders at every level. They haven't reproduced themselves and anybody else. If they've been a doer, not a developer, man, it costs the church big time when people transition. And transition's inevitable. It really is. It's the culture we live in. People are way more um, transient than they used to be. You know, people don't go to church 40 years anymore. People don't work for a church for 40 years anymore. So there is a need for us to have it buttoned up and structured up so that when somebody leaves, everything doesn't fall apart. Hmm. Well, as we move to our final seventh item, I, I, it kind of brings us back to where we started in the beginning uh, an hour ago. You, you brought up the importance of training, that when we put the processes together, it's so important that people are trained in or understand what's in the written process. Well, you got to start by writing down the process, but we can't just have a document sitting on a shelf somewhere. We've got to bring it to life through some training. Um, I, I think we've titled the seventh one, Mobilizing Owners, but part of ownership is, is this idea of training that we've given training. Um, here's, here's, I think, one of our challenges, Sean. I'll, I'll use my own experience coming out of the marketplace. When I was in the marketplace and then made the shift into ministry, um, I'm going to say that two of my biggest observations of differences between what what I saw in the marketplace and what I saw in ministry. And I'm talking about organizational function now. Um, The first was in the area of supervision. In the marketplace, we had a supervisory ratio somewhere in the 1 to 12 to 1 to 20 range. If you just jump into ministry for a second, most churches paid staff to volunteers as a one to a hundred ratio. Yeah. Or 125 maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And so, or to 125, that one to 125. So right off the bat, we are relying on what, what would normally be accomplished through paid compensate in the marketplace, compensated people who are getting paid to do their job. And so they're being supervised by paid people. Now, all of a sudden, in order to get adequate, we'll call it oversight instead of supervision, we are absolutely reliant on volunteers with volunteers overseeing the work that's going on. Which leads to my second observation, which is the industry I came out of in the marketplace, 
it was so radically different on training than what ministry, like in ministry, it is almost non-existent. I mean, my experience in ministry is we get some training in the leadership pipeline. Most training is biased to the leadership pipeline, but the idea of actually training people in the competency of operating systems and the, if we go back to the simple uh, example of in children's ministry, you know, things like, okay, there's a policy, but how do people know about the policy? Well, the answer in ministry is usually, as soon as that volunteer signs up in children's ministry, we hand them the 125 page policy manual. Hey, read this before you show up the first. Welcome to the nursery. Welcome to the nursery. Yeah. So um, what, what if any observations do you have there, Sean, in the training area? Yeah, I think this is where it comes down to really checking our spirit as a leader. You know, are, are we going to be transactional? You know, are we going to be a transformational leader? You know, I hear leaders all the time say, I just haven't had time to connect with my team. Well, that's a cop out. I mean, <laughs> if you don't have time with your team, Jesus is always stiff arming. If you look, dropping on the Gospels, he's stiff arming the crowds mm. to be with the leaders. You know what a lot of pastors do? Stiff arm their team to make themselves available to the masses. It's exactly the opposite of the way Jesus led. You know, he's always trying to get away from the crowds and the urgency to reproduce himself in a few people. And man, if paid staff, mm. it would unleash a harnessed potential in the church of which we've never seen, you know, in my lifetime where we're just releasing talent, you know, everywhere. And we've got a pipeline that's a mile deep just because we're truly, we're stiff arming the crowds, you know, to be with the few leaders, you know, and help them develop. I don't want to pick a children's minister that just loves children. I want to pick a children's pastor that has a leadership gift, has the ability to reproduce herself in other adults, that's where the power will come. Mm. Her loving children is a bonus. I really don't care if she ever sits in a children's classroom. Mm. Be better if she doesn't. Mm. You know, I, I need her to focus on reproducing herself and other people, recruiting, developing, investing into a few key leaders. Mm. If she'll do that, children's ministry <laughs> will be okay. That's my belief. So I hope we've helped guys today. Yeah. As we wind down and uh, finish here, Sean, uh, it's easy for people to get overwhelmed in this topic uh, because it, it just can seem like so much. Um, let's end this way. Let's each identify one or two things coming out of this that uh, not to solve the whole issue of process. And strategy, but for me, for example, my words of encouragement to the average person listening, if you could just do one thing coming out of this, it would it'd be this simple. Go do an actual inventory of what written processes do you currently have. I'm not even talking about solving them. Just go do the simple inventory of what written processes do you already have? And in what areas don't you have written processes? What's a first step for you? What, what, what step or two for you, Sean, would you encourage people to? Yeah, so we actually have a tool called the Five Pillars of Accountability. You know, we walk leadership teams through. The last one is what one thing or one area, if it got better, mm. could make the biggest difference right now. Mm. And, hey, let's confront the elephant in the room. <laughs> let's start with what's broken the worst. You know, what one thing or one area, if it got better, can make the biggest difference. And man, let's all rally around it. How do you eat elephant one bite at a time? You know, let's just, let's not get overwhelmed. There's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Let's attack one thing at a time and make it better. If we attack one thing each year for five years, we've taken five major ministry streams of the church and drastically improved them, made them healthier. And I think healthy things begin to grow. That's where your overnight success churches come from, I believe. Mm. It's been five years in the making, you know, down in the hull of the ship, fixing what's leaking, you know, and getting it all shored up so we can travel safely. Yeah. All right, Sean. Great being with you today. Great to be back with you, I should say. 
You as, you as well, my friend. You as well, my friend. Hope we've helped right. guys today. Look forward to your feedback, guys. Let us know if you're watching today, social media and the hub, whatever. What's your number one takeaway? That will encourage us more than anything. Or what are you going to do about it? That probably encourages us the most, yeah. right, Ty? Right. All right. We'll see you in a couple of weeks, Sean. Yeah, man. God bless you.